Christians. Welcome to First Christian Church today. To everybody who's here, everybody here in the West and all you in the East as well. And those who are worshiping with us online, I'm very glad you are a part of our worship service together today. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. I'd invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to right in the very center of the Bible. We're going to look at Psalm 96 today. Psalm 96. And uh, while we're doing that, I'd like, while you're looking for Psalm 96, I'd like to start our time together with a, a story about uh, the longest running laboratory experiment in history. It's now moving on 92 years long. It started in 1927. In 1927, Thomas Parnell, a physics professor at the University of Queensland in Australia, wondered about the properties of pitch. You know what pitch is? Uh, one of those thick liquids of, you know, thickest liquids on earth. It is pitch. It's like really a strong version of tar. It's 230 billion times more viscous than water. I don't know who counted that. They had to count for a long time, but 230 billion times more viscous than water. And at room temperature, it looks like a solid and you but it's really a liquid, and um, so he wanted to know, could he get that liquid to actually pour? So he heated a bunch of, a, 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 you know, a glob of pitch. He put it inside a sealed uh, vacuum seal with inside a, a, a funnel, and waited it for cool and settle. And then it, once that had cooled and settled, he cut, cut off the stem of the funnel and waited for the pitch to kind of go in the jar below. Well... He had to wait a long time. That liquid for the first drop to come off took nine years. He started in 1927. It, it finally got one actually in 1938, 11 years later, pardon me. And then a second one nine years after that. And after having those two great moments of success, he died. That's it. However, since the experiment had already been going on for a number of years at that point, other scientists came along with the exact, I mean, with his piece of pitch and with the same, they've just watched it ever since. And so, in the last 92 years, the uh, pitch has put off nine drops. I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times it's gone into the jar below. I can do that quite well. I just noticed that with this mic. That's really quite, I've got a new talent I didn't know I had. But nonetheless, the last time it occurred was in April of 2014, and they expect uh, that it won't occur again now for another 13 years. And you're going, what's the point of the story, Wayne? Because it's really boring. Well, it's kind of boring, but it's kind of like a fascinating, you know, 92 years long, this experiment has been going on. And um, in those 92 years, the scientists who have watched this jar I've only seen the thing drop nine times. It's a lot of waiting to come to a moment of success, to a moment of completion. And I, when I read this story, I was thinking, you know, our congregation is a little bit older than 92 years of age. We're actually twice that old. We're 185 years. This past January, we celebrated 185 years of ministry. And in 185 years, I guess you could say we've seen more than just nine moments of success. And in addition, in January, you graciously recognized um, the 25th anniversary of when our family moved to Illinois and began pastoral ministry here in this church in January 1 of that year, 1994. And I, just the way in which you recognize that, I, I want to officially, in response to that, now say thank you. And I think most of all, I want to say thank you for your willingness to serve alongside me, um, kindly following, if you will. And... Um, sometimes accepting the wild ideas of ministry that I bring to you from time to time. And so, 
My thought today is that while our church has had some success in ministry, um, that's probably a little bit more, more often than just once every nine or 10 years, like that, that pitch drop every, every 10 years or so, we've had more than nine moments of glee. I'm aware of this dynamic, friends, that congregational and pastoral ministry cannot be measured in a few moments of success. I mean, every church can do that. Frankly, every pastor can do that. But in the long term, you've got to measure our, our success in, a, in seeing how the long-term results of the church, are we initiating spirit-led changes in the lives of people, in the community around us, and in the world for that matter. It takes a long time to determine if we are successful, and it probably takes about as long as that to determine if a pastor or whether or not I am successful in my ministry as well. So I want to say thank you for your patience and care for me and my family as we together, congregation that's significantly different than it was in 1994, but as we together look for the long-term results of God's work in us and then through us. And so this weekend is, is a weekend that we set aside uh, usually within the first, first six weeks of each year. Uh, we review, we go back and say, what, what happened well in the year previous and what are some of the ideas and challenges that are before us in the coming year? And some of you, go, our guests are saying, oh, great, I've come to a congregational meeting. They're going to vote on the budget. No, we're not doing anything like that. I would say to you, those who are guests here today, this is probably the best weekend to ever be in church at First Christian Church as a guest because you're going to learn about our church and you're going to learn about a com our commitment to Christ's cause and you're going to learn about who we are and what's important to us. And by the way, we're doing this for one weekend. Next weekend, we're going to step into a new sermon series. It's going to look at that passage of scripture out of Philippians that says, don't be anxious about anything. And who are we kidding? Um, most of us have these moments of anxiety somewhere along the line. And uh, so we're going to look for a number of weeks. What does it mean to say, I'm going to, I'm going to bring the anxiety level in my life down. And uh, frankly, all of us need that because we've got a crazy world. Uh, you may have crazies around you. A lot of you nodded very quickly at that. <laughs> and uh, you might even be one of the crazies. If so, then this sermon series starting next week is for you. Be anxious for nothing. But for today, would you read your Bible, please? Psalm 96, and let's see what we can learn together about what does it mean to be successful as a congregation. Uh, and and um, why don't we read it out loud? It's just, we're going to read just the first three verses, so let's read it out loud. And uh, read with me, please. It says... Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among them. So if you look at that, as you look at that scripture, we say that what we are doing today is that we are trying to determine what's important for us as a congregation. And this scripture says to look at the important things. And one of the things that it says, if you look in your Bible again, it says you can spot, if you look there in verse 2, as to why we do this. Why, why do we go back and say, well, these good things have happened, and what are some of the reasons to sing? In verse 2, the psalmist says, proclaim God's salvation day after day. And one of the things that we like to do around here is we like to thank God because we have salvation provided to us in Jesus Christ through absolutely no merit of our own. But then look again what verse 3 says. 
Verse 3 says that we are to, cl- to declare God's glory for all of his marvelous deeds. Not just salvation, which is really cool, but for all the cool things. For all, if you could put it this way, for all the creative moments, for all those eye-opening moments that God has created. And so we want to figure out what does that mean and what would it look like in the life of our church. So to set the stage for that, to set the stage for what are some of the eye-opening moments that has occurred in the life of our church, Maybe the, what we need to do is to start off with the best of God's accomplishments within the life of our church in 2018. And to that end, I invite you to review the number of people who were baptized in the past year. For so long I carried the weight of my past Crippled by burdens like stones on my back I thought I had fallen too far from your grace But you came and showed me the way When I was lost, so searching You were the ground beneath my feet When I was a blind man begging You were the eye so I could see When the smoke was rising up You were the air that I could breathe You gave me hope Now I All the 
You want the best news of 2018? There it is right there. I never tire of seeing young and old alike making a public commitment of their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you want to know what this church is all about, that's where it starts right there. And if, all that was, if that was all that happened last year, that'd be cool. That'd be there to say, okay, we've done what we needed to do. But I need to tell you, we did do a few other things as well. And um, I want to give you some facts and figures. Uh, hang with me. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get through this pretty quickly. But I want to start with your generosity and mission. You generously gave more than $3 million to our congregation's work in 2018. It's a, that's the figure from all our sources of income. And I want to thank you for your kind generosity. In the general fund, in the basic day-to-day area of our ministries, we ended the year with a surplus of some $148,000. The administrative team immediately gave a good portion of that away to our missions partners, and then we put $50,000 against our um, mortgage balance. We've worked very hard on our mortgage balance in recent years. And so let me tell you about where we stand with our indebtedness. See, um, we've made a commitment that we said we, we don't like to carry debt, and yet we need to also at the same time expand the ministries of the church. And so we have this balance that's always in play. In the last few years, some homes that are contiguous to the church's property have come on the market. We've bought three of them with another one in, the, in play. And so the footprint of the church's property continues to increase. But we, we, we've said we'll do that as long as we have cash on hand. We don't want to borrow money for that. So we've bought those homes. And in addition to that, in the last three years, we've taken right at a million dollars, almost a million dollars off the mortgage, off the uh, congregation's debt. And so I want to say thank you for your generosity in that regard. And there's a very intentional desire to get to zero as soon as possible. Please be aware, as a side note, that in our stage-to-stage remodel, which starts at the front of the stage in the West Auditorium, goes all the way through the lobby to the stage of the East Auditorium, uh, you were very gracious at the end of the year, and we will not be borrowing any funds at all. We're gonna be using the monies that you've given to the church in that regard, and that money is set aside for that project later this spring. In 20, at the beginning of 2018, I told you that we were going to try two experiments when it came to um, outreach ministries away from Decatur, if you will. First of all, we took on responsibility for Disciple Heritage Fellowship. That's a group of some 70 churches around the country. And uh, consequently, throughout 2018, I was on the road a lot, visiting a lot of those congregations with the goal of saying, how could we transplant the DNA of our congregation into those settings? And um, to do that, I went on the road and we learned a lot. And we ca- I came back with a profile by the end of the year. And so we're in the process of hiring somebody right now who we hope to be able to bring that, that whole matter to you later in the spring. The second experiment we said we were working on was dealing with the church in Lovington, First Christian Church, Lovington. They asked us to come alongside and provide some leadership for them. And so uh, they are watching our messages each weekend. And they are all, we also have a pastor there each and every weekend. There's going to be a shift in how all that plays out this coming year by probably hiring somebody. But we'll still be engaged at a different level, but still involved in that congregation. And so that's our outreach here in North America, away from Decatur. Uh, we continue to follow up with our work around the globe. We have two or three focal points, Central Asia, Cuba, and Kenya. And um, in the past years, we've sent a lot of people overseas. 82 different people have gone to Kenya. 78 have gone to Cuba. Some of them in both those nations a number of times. They've traveled a lot of miles. And um, as they go um, in, in, in Cuba, it is both a ministry, te- ministry teams and building teams. Same thing in Kenya, though in Kenya we also add medical teams. And um, in the last few years, we have out in the bush, I need to tell you, it's out in the bush. This is far away from any paved roads. 
we, we set up clinics. In the last few years, we've had 2,600 Maasai people come and say, I don't have access to care. And in a week, we'll look at, we'll, there'll be patients running from six to 900 patients a week, just dealing with all of them. As, and many of them walk for days to get there. And so uh, there's another team going to Kenya, a medical team going in, Janu- in, pardon me, in June. And um, how do they get there? Well, everybody who goes pays their own way. But then we, as a church, we take on the projects of those groups and those trips. And in the last few years, you've given more than $800,000 to those endeavors overseas. I want to thank you for that. And again, that does not include the cost of the airfare. Everybody who goes bears that themselves. I'm reminded, minded though, that... Um, Ministry overseas, around the country, and here in town requires countless volunteers, lots of them. And in 2018, our ministries across the community and around the world, but particularly in the community, we have 800 people from our congregation serving in volunteer roles, either in the church or in organizations around the community on behalf of the church, filling 1,500 different positions. It's quite remarkable. Think about it. We're having, praise God, By his grace and with humility, we could say that we're having an impact on people's lives because people, when you, folks, when you serve, people are touched by you and consequently they, they experience the tangible touch of Jesus Christ. It's even seen by people, that touch is even seen by people that you may not be aware are participating in the life of our church. As of last Friday, 1,033, more than 1,000 people get our texts and say, I'd like, to get, I'd like to do a little Bible study, and we send it out to them. We have 2,200 people who follow us, follow us on social media. And uh, just in the last few weeks since the new year, we started publicly promoting our live streaming services. And um, on the weekends, we're seeing right at 100 people worship with us from their homes. And that's really cool. And so those who are online today, welcome. We're very glad you're part of the life of our church. And I'm glad that we're able to provide that service. One of the other ways in which we um, have a tangible touch of Christ in the, min- in the community is you may know that we have a significant role in chaplaincy ministries at DMH, Crossing Healthcare, and just starting in last year, also in the Macon County Jail. So in, in those three places, the jail, Crossing Healthcare, and at DMH, we have, I'll say it this way, we have a con- contractual arrangement with those agencies. They came to us and said, will you provide us chaplains? You have the people who, who are trained. We have staff who are involved in that. And will you help us? And so we, we took the funds that they gave us. We added a significant amount of our own funds as well and said, as a, as a, as a congregation, we can reach into the community. And uh, so in 2014, when that arrangement first started with DMH at first, we had one chaplain working full time. We now have a lot of chaplains. As a matter of fact, we now have... 12 chaplains working in those facilities in the community. And um, here's the coolest thing. Because it's in medical settings, when we're in the the jail, it's it's part of the Crossing Health team, and so it's complicated. There have to be very strong um, medical records kept. And we know that we we touched and prayed with more than 25,000 patients last year. Think about that. 25,000 patients who are not connected to First Christian Church prayed with them throughout the year. Can you beat that? I know, of, I know a lot of churches across the country. I have no knowledge of any other congregation in the country involved in medical ministry in that way. And it is really cool. I, and I want to thank you for letting us try it in 2014 and see the great results. You know, uh, there's a heads up on this. 
Those three organizations, the jail, Crossing Healthcare, and DMH, have asked us to consider expanding our footprint and our ministry in those three places in the coming year. And it's a little bit mind-boggling, particularly what Crossing has in mind. Um, Crossing has this in mind. You're aware that they're building a $30 million facility for opioid treatment. And uh, addicts, one of the ways, primary ways that addicts get, get, you know, they've got a detox, but then they have to figure out their spirituality, who they are as part of their psychological profile. And we've been asked, will you guys provide full-time people to that endeavor? People who are going to be 60 beds, people who are inpatients for inpatient um, uh, ex-addicts, if you will, uh, for up to two to three months at a time. So uh, it's a little mind-boggling for the coming year. We'll see what God does and see how God uses us in that, re- in that regard. You know, friends, I, I guess I could say I could go on more and more about what deeds God has accomplished through us in 2018. And I have a concern in bringing all this stuff to you that um, in highlighting what you've heard, I might leave out some wonderful moments of God's work in and through us. That, and that's a problematic. So before I go on, maybe I should tell you just one story to give you a sense of how this really works. So... We grew this wild hair idea as a congregation. Let's see if we could train young people in the, in, in the worship arts so that when they graduate from high school and go off to college, they'd know how to lead other churches in worship and they'd have a skill set. That, so what can we teach them in the art? And so we have, we have 60 piano students. There's 150 kids involved in the, in the arts academy apart from that. And they're learning how to paint. They're learning how to dance. They're learning how to play instruments. We haven't had some, like we have a cooking class because we figure one of the things that people need to do in church is provide meals. And um, so there, there were these two young boys uh, that wanted to come to the cooking class, 10 and 11 brothers. They, they, they're farmers. They're from the farm. So they're, they're used to rough and tumble. They play baseball. Their favorite thing is to drive their four-wheeler around the farm. So the, and so they, they got here on the first night of the, of the class and learned that they hadn't signed up in time and the cooking class was full. And the only class that was available was down the hallway um, where we have about, I think it's eight sewing machines set up where people can learn to sew. Well, that's the only class available. Oh, sewing. I don't know. So off they went to sewing class. And they learned how to sew on our fairly new sewing machines and quickly went home and said, doesn't grandma have an old sewing machine that we don't use anymore? And they suddenly, they, they took everything they learned and with no prompting from anyone, started making pillows and pillowcases to give away. They've made 15 sets so far. They used them as Christmas gifts. And um, <laughs> what I like about this, uh, it came time around to sign up for classes here the, as this new spring season starts. And uh, guess what they chose to sign up for? Sewing, right? Now, I, I don't know that the scriptures say a lot about children and sewing. I don't think it does, per se. But it does say a lot about providing instruction and direction in the lives of children in places that are spiritually attuned to the work of God. And we're doing that. And friends, I want to tell you, you're making it happen. Like in the lives of those two little boys and all the other ones around them. So I I would say that 2018 was a year of success. We touched lives. People were baptized, first of all. That's the best thing. And others grew in discipleship. However... We wouldn't want to just rest on our accomplishments, but rather, I'd say as a congregation, it's our habit. Can we lean in some more and learn some more ways that God might say, I want you to be used this way? Because 
When we get to do things like this, what do we do? We, we, we do what it says in Psalm 96. We proclaim and declare the glory of God for all the marvelous deeds he has done. And so that begs the question, what's coming in 2019? Well, I'm aware that as a congregation, we have gladly and willfully and with great joy focused a lot of attention and people resources and finances and a lot of prayer support on many settings outside the walls of our building. We've done that for many years now. That drive to make a difference in the lives of the people of our community and the lives of people in places, remote places around the world, people who are not connected to our church, that drive came as a result of a question that was posed to our leadership team more than 10 years ago now. We were asked by an outsider. Here's the question that was asked us. If first Christians cease to exist, if we were to close our doors next week, apart from the members knowing about that, would the community really notice? And it was a stunning question because our stunning response, honestly, with some integrity in front of each other was, we don't think the community would really notice that we left. And with that, that led to a complete change in the way in which we view the ministry life of our church. That we can't just do things for us, but what are we doing in the community? It led to all sorts of community ministries like the radio show, Parsons Club 305, Jumpstart, Posture Shift, the Arts Academy, Chaplaincy Ministries, the Block Ministry, DHF, the Lovington Congregation, our role in leading 35 other congregations in the community as we help them write evangelism programs and, and those sermon series that really came, I could say it this way, came off our desks, okay? It was finding your way back to God and tell me more and um, room for doubt. We, what did we do, friends? We poured thousands and thousands of hours and thousands and thousands of dollars into those great ministry endeavors, and we've seen great results, both now and for eternity. And we're going to continue to be involved in those endeavors with great fervor. However, I'm mindful of a very important principle in play. It comes out of the agricultural world that we have the opportunity to see to a greater degree than other churches that are in big cities. You know, ag is how we manage our community, right? And um, farmers sow and then they reap. And you see that metaphor throughout the Bible sow and then reap. In fact, I would suggest that the farmers of our church would tell us that if you sow and then don't reap, you don't have anywhere to sow next year. That there has to be that pattern. Sow in the spring, reap in the fall, so that you can sow again next fall. And so if you don't reap, there's a problem in the spring. And so in 2019, based on all the sowing we've done for a lot of years, while maintaining our ministry presence in those settings around the world and in our community, we're going to bring a little more focus to bear here at First Christian. Not to the exclusion of everybody else, hear me, but it's time for us to reap a little bit and figure out some things for us in the future. We've sown in places far and wide. Now it's time for some reaping. So we're going to be examining some things back here at home a little bit more in this coming year. We're going to look at the content of our worship services. Are we, are we worshiping well? We're going to look at our building spaces have to examine our staff lineup. We're, there's an intense desire since I'm, I'm going to be home more this year since compared to last year being on the road with DHF. I really want to have us take a look at your spirituality, at my spirituality to a greater degree. I want to understand are we, are we, and evaluate are our children progressing and following Jesus Christ. So I guess you could put it this way. In the coming year, we're going to focus on you a little bit more. Not to the point of selfishness, but from a point of reaping, 
I'm preparing us for the next season of sowing. And um, I'm anxious to see how that's going to play out. And so with that, let me tell you of one final event that's coming this year, uh, that towards the end of the year, that is really cool. That's, remember that, that, um, that illustration, that story I told you about the guy who put the, the pitch in the glass and it, he was waiting for it to drop and it takes nine to 10 years. Right now, they think the next one's 13 years old. Remember that? Um, I want to tell you about something that's about to occur this year that's really cool. Uh, we've had an interest in missions work in Kenya since the mid-80s as a congregation, back when the congregation was quite small. We sent a couple over to Kenya by the name of Gary and Judy Woods. They went out into the bush. They built a um, block house that was about 15 by 15 square, and all the houses around them were Maasai people. Um, they were the first white people to live in that community. Uh, out, I'm, I'm talking about way off the road, guys. And... Um, the houses out there, apart from theirs, are all dirt floors and cow dung walls made from cow dung and grass roots. And Maasai, that's how Maasai make their houses. And uh, they get out there. No one in the community follows Jesus. No one. And uh, so we, we, we started there. And they eventually had a family come to know Christ. And had a, their oldest boy was a little guy by the name of Daniel. And so they started a school. No schools were there at the time. And the school was Gary and Judy taking a, black, black, uh, a blackboard and nailing it to a tree and teaching the kids of the village how to read and write. So we did that for a lot of years. Uh, Lynn and Dory went on their way and joined them out there. And um, in, after a lot of years of praying, uh, in 2010, leaders of the church thought, you know, we, we're set, we've got couples there, but should we maybe go there ourselves and, and find ways that short-term missions could take place in Kenya and we could really impact that village in new ways? So a bunch of us went in 2010 to Kenya with the idea, it was called a discovery trip. And we're there, we're, we're, we're staying in, in a dormitory blockhouse um, and it's pretty rough. Well, not pr it's really rough is a good way to put it, okay? Like, I'm going to, we're running late. Can I tell you a story though? Just that I hadn't planned to tell. Okay, so the, the bunks where the guys were staying were three high. One, two, three. And I was going to be on the top bunk. And um, we made our beds. And Lynn Kazir comes in and says, uh, Wayne, where's your head? I said, well, it's up against the wall. Why is it up against the wall? Because I don't want my pillow to drop off in the middle of the night. That's a reasonable thing, right? He says, Wayne, I need you to move your, your um and, and you need to sleep with your head at the other end and have your feet down there by the edge of the wall. Why? He says, well, in the middle of the night, the bats are going to come in. And, and when they have droppings, we want it to land on your feet, not your head. <laughs> Welcome to Kenya. Anybody want to go with me? There's a group going in June. <laughs> so anyhow, we're there at this discovery trip. And uh, by this time, there are a number of Christians in the area. And about half a mile, maybe three quarters of a mile, not very far across this really long field where the grass is about this deep. There's a house over there, a Maasai house. And we learned that that's one of the elders of the church and he needs somebody to pray with him. He's an old man and he's quite ill. And so he asked if all of us visiting from America would go and pray with him. And so we load up in a, in a Land Rover, but there's not enough room for everybody. And I said, well, I can walk. It's, I can see where it is. The grass is deep. Little thoughts go through your mind. This is Africa, but I, can, I think I can get there. And this young 
Maasai warrior, Daniel, the kid who learned to read and write with the blackboard against the tree is there. He speaks great English and he says, I'll walk with you. So we walk across the field and, you know, he's traditional Maasai and you're kind of expecting one level of understanding of the world, if you will. And so I think it was 23 at the time. So what do you do? What, what do you do? Do you, do you um, herd goats like your forefathers have for thousands of years? Oh, no, I teach science in a high school. What? Oh, yeah, the, the woods taught us how to read and write. Then I went off to high school, and, the, and then I went to college, and I have, a, I have a bachelor's degree in science, and I'm a science teacher. I love chemistry. You, you're a traditional Maasai guy, and your family lives in this dung hut, and yet you're a scientist? Yeah, yeah. So we're walking over there. We pray with the guy, and then I'm walking back with Daniel. So he says... So how did you, how's this going teaching and how, well, I, I like teaching. I've only done it a year, but I re, that's not really my long-term goal. What's your long-term goal? I want to go to medical school. Now, that's not traditional for Maasai people to think about going to medical school. And I said, oh, cool. When are you going to go? I don't think I'm going to get there. Well, I don't have any money to go. I'm Maasai, I'm poor. And I thought, don't tell me that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. So I'm thinking, I'm saying, God, this is not my job. I'm here to discover. I'm here to look and to listen. Please don't make me responsible for this. We, got, we came back to the U.S. I didn't say a word to Daniel. Didn't say a word. We got back to the U.S. And I, I, tried, to, I, mean, I tried to push it away for months. Till finally I came to you and said, ah, there's this kid in Maasai land who has the smarts because we did some investigation, he's got the smarts and the intelligence and the skill set and the study skill, the study behavior to go to med school. And he wants to go to medical school so he can bring medicine back to his village. And uh, I said, from our understanding, it's gonna cost $60,000 to send him to school for his degree. Would you help me put $60,000 together? And we did. It was kind of a, you know, it's a little bit of a throw the dice. We don't know exactly what it's gonna cost. So every semester since then, we've been sending him the money for him to be in med school. He got married. He's got two little girls now. And um, we've run out of money. We're out of money. This is not a plea for money. This is to tell you that he's at the end of his schooling. We had the exact amount. I mean, the exact, I mean, to almost, almost to the $10 mark. And can I introduce you now to Dr. Daniel Cordetoy? That's him right there. He finishes school this year. When we go to Kenya this coming June, he's leading the medical team in his village. Now, I'm reminded that that started in 2010. It probably started really in the late 80s with Gary and Judy Woods nailing a blackboard to a tree. And I'm thinking about that in, in context of that scientist in Australia in 1927, putting some pitch in a, in a glass jar and seeing how long does it take for it to go, for, it to, for, the, for the plop to happen. It's taken us nine years to get Daniel from where he is to where he is now, from where he started. It's nine years since I took that walk across the bush in Kenya. And um, I'm aware of this, that some of our endeavors are immediate, others take time. Some of the successes of 2019 will be easy, easily recognized. 
Others will only come after we sow and sow and sow and then we'll reap. So we'll do that. Consequently, we will say we will be used by God, not because we are haughty in any way, but we, how can we speak into the life of our community? How can we speak into the life of a little village in Kenya? There's no electricity there. I mean, it, it, there's no plumbing. It is, you know what? We'll keep doing it. When we see his results come along, we'll praise God and say, thank God for the marvelous deeds he's done. For the other moments, we'll wait and we wait. But I know this. For all the coming moments, we will do this. We will always declare God's glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. In the name of Christ.